You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Welcome. Uh, my name is Morris. I'm one of the uh, elders here at Hope Church. It's always great to be with you lovely people on a Sunday. Uh, part of my role is I do quite a lot of traveling, so it's always fun to be back with my family. This is my anchor point in my world and in my life, uh, in terms of my spiritual existence. So it's great to be with you. Um, I do quite a lot of travelling, but I'm travelling on your behalf. I'm sort of, I, I don't just sort of wander off doing sort of my own thing, <laughs> morris.com ministries. I'm, uh, I'm a sent ministry, and, uh, and I, I come back and give account uh, to those who send me from here. Um, but over the last six weeks or so, I've been representing you in, uh, in Germany and Sweden and Finland, the Netherlands and the Middle East and uh, Sheffield. So there you go. And, uh, you know, people are, are grateful to you for releasing uh, my time. And uh, I just want you to know that they, they really appreciate that and uh, honour you for that. So just last Thursday, I was stood, uh, as you do, on Mount Nebo. Um, where Moses would have stood, looking across the River Jordan to Jericho. Um, I'm always a little bit uh, circumspect about sort of biblical locations, but mountains and seas and rivers don't tend to move very far. And so you know when you stood on, when it says, you know, that uh, Moses stood on Mount Nebo and he looked at the Dead Sea Plain and he saw the River Jordan and he saw Jericho and the land of Canaan and God said, this is the land I'm promising to your people uh, you know you're seeing what uh, pretty much Moses would have seen. And it was quite incredible just to try and picture um, uh, Israel. I mean, I, I looked it up. You know, there was uh, 600 men plus their, their, their wives and children. So they estimate two or three million. And what a job. I have, you know, I have a headache sometimes leading a church of a few hundred. And this is you know, two or three million people. And I just was picturing them you know, walking over the, the plain to the River Jordan and uh, Joshua with his mates carrying the ark, rolling up their trouser legs, putting their foot in the river, and the river stopping, and they cross over on dry land, and then uh, execute their unusual military strategy for taking Jericho, and, uh, and on they go. To, uh, and, I, and I'm looking at where this whole narrative worked out. It was an amazing uh, privilege. And, but I was also dreaming as I stood there about what part can we play in bringing the gospel of life and light to what has become a very dark part of the world. You know, I mean, I, I receive the most humbling and generous hospitality from uh, the people of that part of the world. And yet there is this, uh, you know, counterfeit religion holding many, many people in their grip. And it's grip. And uh, it, it stirs you. You think, God, what can we do about this? But I, I love the fact that in this church, we can be stirred one week uh, for the poor of our town. I mean, didn't Mark do a great job when he was... I, I was so blessed I got the chance to hear his message. And here we are. We're concerned for what God is doing here for the poor and the marginalized and the uh, excluded in our town. And at the same time thinking, what can we be doing to serve the mission of God in nations beyond, in the darkest corners 
of the world. And uh, this is the Great Commission. This is what we're committed to as a church. We're committed to seeing uh, the gospel preached, Christ brought near, whether it's locally here or across this region. Uh, Tom's been preaching over in Stonemarket this morning, or whether it is uh, uh, an influence across the nation. I do believe that, that we will have an influence in our nation as a church, but even uh, to the ends of the earth and across the globe as well, that there are things that God is storing up in us in faith that will have a, a benefit and a blessing to the mission of God in other nations, even in some of the darkest corners, as I was describing earlier. So I love that. I love this church. I love being part of this people. Uh, we're pushing on all fronts. Amen? Yeah, we're going we're gonna to take the gospel of light out with us wherever God may take us. So, today I am going to be taking us through the next in our series in 1 Timothy, if you'd like to turn to your Bibles. Uh, 1 Timothy 6. We've been going through this series about how, really in 1 Timothy, Paul is unpacking his blueprint for the church, really. Uh, coaching Timothy, his uh, disciple, his son in the Lord. Uh, his blueprint of what uh, the Christian call and the church should be like. This is what Paul has in mind, what we should be giving ourselves to, what we should be avoiding, how we should be preparing ourselves and spending our time and energies. So I'm going to speak from um, uh, verses uh, 11 to 16 in 1 Timothy 6. I've given a title to this message, and it is a church with a cause. Okay, so verse 11. But you... Man of God, woman of God, flee from all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honour and might forever. Amen. Amen. So, first thing to note, verse 11, Paul says, flee from these things. Flee from what? We just have to rewind a little bit. The answer is found in verses 4 and 5. He's saying to Timothy, flee from an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. That's what Paul is urging Timothy to flee from. Instead, he's saying, I want you to pursue godly character. So flee from these things. Flee from these meaningless controversies and debates and stuff. That's not the priority here. Don't get trapped into thinking that the way to show that God is blessing you is to accumulate material wealth. That's pointless. What's really valuable in heaven is godly character. This is valuable. This has currency. 
And this is what Paul is urging Timothy to pursue. Character, godly character. Part of our role as uh, uh, leaders in this church is to help you emerge and develop in your godly character, to become more and more like Jesus. That's the goal, to present one another mature before Christ. That is a high goal for us as leaders, is to encourage one another to be more and more like Jesus every day. That's what we're doing here. And this is what Paul is urging Timothy in these verses. This is the economy of heaven. These are the things that are valuable for eternity, not riches that can be destroyed and we can't take with us, but genuine riches of character, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. The, uh, you know, it's, it's sobering to do an audit. It's sobering for us to do an audit sometimes of where we're at spiritually as a community. It's sobering for us to individually, personally do an audit and think uh, year upon year, am I growing in these things? Is my temperament and character more gentle, <laughs> more patient and persistent in endurance, more aligned with godly thinking and appetites and attitudes than it was a year ago, five years ago, whatever it might be, whatever time scale you might measure that over. I don't, I don't mind what stage you're in in your Christian walk, whether you've been a Christian just months or a very few years, or you've been a Christian for many decades, there's still work for us to do <laughs> in becoming more like Jesus. There's still things to evaluate in ourselves and think, you know, I need to grow in this. You know, why am I? I seem to be less, I'm speaking rhetorically here now, okay, less patient with my wife than I was when I first met her. I should be more patient with her. You know, I should be more loving, not less loving, because I'm growing to become more like Jesus. Are you pursuing these things? Are you actively pursuing these things in your life? What takes your best energy? Is it pursuing riches? Is it controversy and conspiracy theories? Is it the futile things of this world? Because one day we will be measured and judged on these things. Okay, We preach a gospel of grace in this church. And the gospel of grace includes the fact that one day we're going to be judged for our obedience in this life. Our salvation depends only and fully upon the obedience of Jesus Christ. Amen. Our reward depends only and completely on our own obedience in this world. What are you giving your energy to? What are we pursuing? Don't arrive in heaven empty-handed. Pursue the things that heaven considers valuable, not the things that this world considers valuable. I'm often debating with Tom, we're both uh, football fans, about sporting greatness, and he holds up various uh, characters from Chelsea or Real Madrid and uh, other teams, and we are agreed that greatness is defined not just by ability and achievement, but it is defined by character. I think when you look at people who have been great in any arena of life, uh, what qualifies them are attributes of character. And God is as interested in this as anything else in our lives. And so I just want to urge you to pursue these things. Pursue the things that heaven considers valuable. You know, when we get to heaven, no one's going to be worried about uh, how big your house was. No one's going to be worried about how big your bank balance was. 
No one's going to be worried about how fast your car was. You're not going to be judged on how sharp your clothes are or how cool your haircut is. Okay? Don't pursue these things. As you can see. (laughs) Don't pursue these things. But be absolutely transfixed by what it means to be more like Jesus and to pursue him in godly character. Yeah, What to do on Monday when you wake up? Well, today I want to be more like Jesus. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy here. Pursue it. Run after these things. And then in verse 12, Paul goes on to speak about a cause. I am more grateful than I can express that Christ has given us a cause in life. What a thrilling privilege and honor to be enlisted in the cause of Christ. So it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonder for us to meditate as we have done in our worship already today. That through the obedience of Christ, those who have put their trust in Christ are now reconciled to Father God in heaven. Done deal. Bang. Jesus has obtained this for us. And those who put their trust and confidence in Christ, he will never leave or forsake. Yeah? And now he's saying, I want you to participate in my heavenly cause. I want you to fight with me. You know, a cause is something that we're, we're, we're going to fight for this. We're fighting for this cause. We're going to put all our energy into this. Now our eternity is secured, and now we are adorned with dignity as Jesus himself invites us to participate in his cause, his story, the only story that we will be retold in heaven. Yeah? <laughs> Nothing else is going to be interesting in heaven. The things I was just mentioning earlier, you know, sort of earthly achievement, houses, cars, you know, uh, exotic holidays, saving up for, uh, yeah. I might, my uh, dear mother, she's gone now, but she used to say to me, Morris, you used to really um, uh, dream about traveling around the world. And, uh, and I, and I I'd just become a Christian at that point, and I sort of was throwing all my life into a mission to a village in Norfolk of a thousand people. <laughs> my whole life. I was focused on this. It was a holiday mission. People would come there every year and we would be spending the year preparing for that. I'd give my summer holidays. I was in the military at the time and I'd give my summer holidays to serve this mission with Scripture Union on the Norfolk coast. And my mum said, well, you, used to, you used to want to travel the world. And I said, well, I've got all eternity to do that now. Okay, I've got all eternity to do that now. I don't have to save up for my Barbados dream. I can spend a thousand years in heavenly Barbados in the life to come. So, I, you know, I'm all right. I can wait a few decades for that because I've got an eternity to enjoy these things in the future. But now I want to consume myself with what I can only do now. These are the things I can only do now. I can do those things for eternity. There are some things I can only do now in however long God gives me breath in this earth There are some things I can only do now. I can only beckon the lost to Christ now. When I've gone to glory, it's too late. I won't be able to do it then. And Christ has given us a cause. He's given us a story to write. He's given us uh, something that is of eternal value 
that enables us to look upon the things of this earth and of this world, of this, of this life, and think, you know, these things, they just don't have that, that value. People are chasing after this. I'm not going to chase after it. They don't have value in eternity. They just don't. The things of this world will grow strangely dim and lose their flavor. If they're still tasty for you, then you need to taste Christ because he's much tastier. Yeah? So our contribution to the cause of Christ in the earth is what will resound in heaven. Paul calls us to fight the good fight because there is something worth fighting for. We've heard about the cause of the lost when I was preaching six weeks ago. That you know, Paul was saying, of first importance, you know, Christ came to save sinners. And now I want men, women everywhere to lift holy hands in prayer that the lost would meet Christ. That's a cause. We were hearing last week about the cause of the poor. You know, that's a cause for us to fight for. You know, not satisfied that on all these metrics and measurements that Mark was telling us about, that Ipswich is sort of in the doldrums. No, we're, we're the people of God here. We're going to serve the poor and the marginalized in our community and in so doing, show, in so doing, show them Jesus so that uh, not only will their material needs be met, but also their eternal and spiritual needs will be met as well. This is a cause to give my life for. We're going to fight the good fight personally. We're going to fight the good fight locally. We're going to fight the good fight globally. Personally, God, will you revive me? In, one, uh, in Psalm 138, verse 7, it says, I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. In many translations, it says, you revive me. God, will you revive me? This is the cause. I remember I was a very young Christian and I heard this uh, uh, dear older uh, Christian gentleman towards the end of his own life and ministry saying, you know, there was a day when I used to pray that, you know, God, would you revive the world? And then I would pray, God, would you revive my nation? And then I would pray, God, would you revive my family? And now I just pray, God, would you revive me? And I I was a little bit sort of, uh, you know, young and, Cocky in those days, and I thought, you know, but now I understand what he means. You know, God, keep me fresh, revive me, don't let me go stale, don't let me go cold, don't let me go to stone, don't let me become like this corrupt world that I'm saturated with. My environment is saturated with corruption and hideous, ungodly attitudes and thoughts and appetites. Don't let me be drawn by that, but keep reviving me. Lord Jesus, keep refreshing and reviving me. I'm going to fight for that, I'm not going to give in to these things. I'm going to fight that you stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand delivers me. Lord God, let that be the case for us, each of us, individually, locally. Fight the good fight locally. Psalm 85 verse 6, will you revive us again? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Lord, let me look across Ipswich. Will you not revive our town again? Will you not bring people back to you? Will you not fill your church buildings again? Will you not fill the Odeon to overflowing again and again? And all the other churches that preach Christ in this town, fill them to overflowing. Revive our town, God. This is a cause that we're going to fight for. We're not going to just allow Satan to quietly spirit people away. No, we're going to fight for that. We're going to wrestle for that. That's a cause. 
a global cause. Revive your world, God. Habakkuk 3 verse 2. O Lord, I've heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God, look at this corrupt, broken world that has turned its back on you. Look at the hideous corruption, the deceit of the devil. Christ is going to be, is already established, mopping up the, uh, the enemy, and one day all his works will be destroyed. That's why Christ was revealed, to destroy the works of the evil one. Yeah? We'll see it. Do it, God. Jackie Pullinger says, people pray for a move of God. I pray for a move of men. I love that quote. I love that. She was speaking at our church in Elsham. And I, I've never forgotten that. That was in 2000, January 2000. So we pray for a move of God. Yeah, amen, amen. Come on, God, move. She says, yeah, I'm, I'm praying that you move. <laughs> Great. Come on. And finally, Paul, strikingly, on a couple of occasions, talks about a good confession. So he says to Timothy, he says, you know, hey, Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You know, and uh, speaks of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. What do we mean by this? Why is Paul speaking about this good confession? What was it that Jesus was confessing before Pontius Pilate? Well, he was confessing that he was who people said he was. That's what he was confessing. Actually, other times in the gospel story, and the gospel narratives, Jesus is saying, shh, 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 don't, don't let people know who I am just yet. You know, my time's not right. When the time is right, you know? And so under interrogation from Pontius Pilate, he says, well, I am who people say I am. I am the Messiah. Yeah? When his life was at stake, he nailed metaphorically and literally his colours. I am who people say I am. Yeah? I am the one who has come, the Son of God, to redeem the world and rescue people from the curse of sin and death. I am who I am. This is the good confession. This is the good confession we make when we turn to Christ. We confess with our lips, Jesus is Lord. We confess with our hearts and our mouths, he is the Messiah. He is the promised one. He is the one who has come to deliver us from our sins. If we humble ourselves and confess our sins before him, he is the one who can deliver us from our sin and deliver us from death and deliver us from evil. He is the Lord and he is the Savior. Is it your confession that Jesus is Lord and Messiah and Saviour, will you stand for him? Is this your good confession? When everything is at stake, when your life is at stake, is your good confession that Jesus is the Messiah? He is the chosen one, the sent one, the one who has come to save us, the one to whom we must surrender the one to whom we turn over our lives to and say, Lord and Saviour, is this your good confession? 
Okay, we're going to uh, we're going to go through a good confession together. Okay, I've got the Apostles' Creed here. If you're a good Anglican, you'll be very familiar with this. The Apostles' Creed is a summary of, of, of a good confession. It's a summary of what people who have given their lives to Jesus really believe about him. A summary that has been agreed over many, 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 many centuries. Collated together by the early church, agreed at various uh, times in the uh, history of the early church. This is what Christians believe. Okay, So I'm going to read it out line by line. and I'm going to invite you to repeat it after me. And make a good confession. Are you all feeling very Anglican this morning? Okay. Always. <laughs> okay. I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe in God the Almighty. Creator of heaven and earth. You believe that? You're nailing your colours to the mast here. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Born of the Virgin Mary. Suffered under Pontius Pilate. Was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Catholic Church. The communion of saints. The forgiveness of sins. The resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen? Amen. Can I welcome the worship team to come and take their stand? I'm just going to give one final challenge just as our worship team leads us in our final song. I just want to give an opportunity today. Okay, this won't be for for many of you, but I just want to give you an opportunity today. There was a day when Jesus made his good confession. There was a day when Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate. His life depended on it. He knew that if he confessed these words, it would mean his death sentence. And he said, I am who they say I am. I am the Messiah. I am the one who's come to save people from their sins. I just want to offer an opportunity today to anybody who has never had that opportunity to make that good confession. Okay? Maybe you've never considered handing your life over to Jesus and saying, Lord Jesus, I recognize who you are and I ask you to forgive me for my rebellion and my sin against you and I surrender my life to you because you are who you say you are and I now commit my life with full trust into your hands knowing that you will carry me through this life 
You will carry me through the door of death and you will carry me into life eternal with you. If you've never made that good confession, in a moment I'm going to invite you to stand. But also, I just want to give an opportunity for anybody here who, if you really look at your own life, you think, you know what, you know, I, I call myself a Christian, and I've come to church, and I know all the moves and all the words. Actually, I'm never really sure I've nailed it. I'm never, you know, I, I'm, I'm weary of lukewarm, complacent, compromising Christianity in my own life. I'm looking at my own life, and I think I'm sick of it. I'm, th- I'm sick of that, just sort of going along, going through the motions. If this matters, then it ma- I'm going I'm to nail it. If this really matters, I'm going to nail it. And I'm going to make the good confession and say, Christ, I'm yours. No more messing about. No more attendance Christianity. No more socially convenient Christianity. No, you know, I'm going to pursue godly character. I'm going to pursue godly cause. I'm going to make the good confession. And this is a defining day in my life when I left behind lukewarm Christianity and I embraced red-hot relationship with God. So, I'm just going to offer you the opportunity right now. If you've never stood for Christ before, or if you feel that your stand for Christ has been lukewarm and you want to make a, a point to yourself in the, in the face of witnesses, saying, I'm, I'm not going to stand for this anymore. I'm going to embrace Christ and surrender to him. I just invite you to stand now. I give you this opportunity to stand now. Stand for Christ. God bless you. hold this opportunity open a step change in my relationship with Jesus a step change I'm not going to put up with a half hearted attempt anymore whole heartedly for you Jesus for you Jesus making the good confession just hold this opportunity over a little bit longer praise God thank you Jesus who have stood just want to invite you when we're singing there's a a prayer ministry team that will be gathering down here by this banner and uh, you don't have to I'm not putting any any pressure on you to do so but just you might want to just go and make your way over there and ask brothers and sisters to pray for you to cement what decision of the heart you're making in this moment because we're with you 
with you. We've all had to one day or the other make this stand. I remember in my military days, someone in a crowded crew room saying, well, no one these days ever really believes the Bible is true. And I thought, this is my moment. I said, well, I do. All of us at some point, we make the good confession and we put our life on it. And Lord, I want to pray for these dear folks who, with courage, have stood for you this morning. And say, Lord, will you cement something in their hearts? Whatever maybe they have felt dissatisfied with, Lord, will you release its hold? And Lord, whatever is worthy and honorable and beautiful and godly, let it grow in their thinking that they would pursue it with their whole hearts. Pursue Christ-like character with zeal and determination, ruthlessness. Determine the cause of Christ with sacrifice and selflessness. And with courage and great patience, hold out their good confession before family, friends, workmates, neighbors. Lord God, give them the courage for that, I pray. Lord Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.